Coming to you from the Tanglewood Studios on the Baseball 101 Network, this is the Baseball 101 Go 6 Podcast. Okay, welcome to the show. Another edition of the Baseball 101 Go 6 podcast. My name is Scott Wasliger and I will be your host. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe, please rate, and please review. And please tell at least one other friend about the podcast so we can continue to grow. On tap today, we're going to talk about hitting. We're going to try to provide some helpful information for parents, coaches, and players at the youth level, high school level, and college level. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. So before we get into hitting, just a reminder, regardless of how you're listening to the Go6 podcast, if you go to the Anchor app and you tap the message button, you'll be able to leave us a message there in the form of a question or a comment, or even a shout-out to your team, we will take that and we will get it on the air in our next podcast. So just a reminder on that one. And with regard to the rest of the show today, we'll have a great interview with Jake McKenzie from Fordham University, college player who played for me at Choate and went on to do really well at Fordham and is in his junior year now. So we'll see how the season going so far and talk to him about hitting. So in baseball, we know that you have to be able to hit. You have to be able to hit to make teams. You have to be able to hit to stay in the lineup. You have to be able to hit in order to get exposure. As you get older, if you're a pitcher, you get exposure other ways. But when you're a position player, this is how you really make your success by hitting. And we know that if you get a hit three out of 10 times, you're hitting 300 and it's a game of failure and Out of those 10 times, you're making out seven times. And in future episodes, we'll spend some time on the mental side of hitting and all the challenges that are presented for hitters. But for now, we'll start with some of the basics. And for me, it's really simplifying things. And we'll talk about little league guys right now. And if you're interested in the high school and college guys, you can fast forward a little bit later and hear the high school and college information on hitting. But for the younger guys, we usually start out by, we have seven and 10 year olds at my camp in the summertime, for example, and we'll start out by making sure they have the right bat. And we do that by having them hold the bat straight out in front of them with one hand parallel to the ground and see if they can make a figure eight with the bat. If they can make a figure eight with the bat parallel to the ground, pointing away from their body, we know that they can handle that bat. So that's a big question that parents ask me a lot is what kind of bat should we get and what size should it be? And that's what I'll say as far as being able to handle the bat and swing it. Much too heavy bat is going to create a lot of bad habits. It's going to be very difficult and frustrating for the player as they're learning. So now we know that they have a bat they can handle. We start out with some very fundamental mechanics for them in order to be able to make a decent swing. 
at the start. And one of those things is just a fundamental balanced base. We have them stand with their feet a little bit wider than their shoulders. We make sure they're holding the bat in their fingers as opposed to the back of their hand. So we tell them to line up their door knocking knuckles. We make sure that they're facing the pitcher with their head so both eyes are seeing the ball when it's on its way to the plate. But really, we do a lot of teamwork at first, and we just have them take short steps. We tell them, like you're stepping on thin ice, short steps towards the pitcher, make a swing, hit the ball off the tee, want them to continually hit the ball off the tee and get some muscle memory and know what it feels like to make a pretty good pass at the baseball. So we'll do that for quite a bit, and then we'll progress on to throwing some balls. We'll get on a knee, and we'll underhand like front flip with wiffle balls. They're still swinging a metal bat, but now they're taking the T-work, and they're actually hitting a thrown ball tossed underhand. So the key really with the younger Little leaguers, travel ball, seven-year-olds through 12-year-olds. For me, the key is they need a lot of reps at that age, as many reps as they can get, as many days in a row as they can get. And, you know, with the young, with the older guys, I think it's a little bit less reps and, and more quality. But with the younger ones, the youth baseball players, little league baseball players, a lot of reps, constantly a lot of reps. If you're coaching Little League Baseball, I think the best way to do it when you're doing hitting is have one station with a T working on T work, have another station where the coach is sitting on a bucket or sitting on a chair behind an, a screen that's about 10, 12 feet away and just underhanding balls that are everyone's a strike to the hitters and getting them through quickly, but letting them get a lot of swings. And that's a big key for me with the younger ones. And usually we see just in a week-long camp, which is five days, a few hours each day, we see in that kind of a setting, we see a kid really progress from the beginning to the end because of so many reps. In the course of a camp with us, a kid will get hundreds of swings by the end of the week. So that's a big key. With regard to the approach in Little League, hitting in games, things like that, um, again, I would say see the ball, hit the ball, swing at strikes. Those are the big keys. Don't try to overdo it. Don't try to jump out at the ball, let the ball get to you. We tell them, we tell them, let the ball travel, let the ball get to the plate. We have a red light, blinking red light zone where we don't want you to jump out and hit it, which is out in front of the plate. And then when that when that ball gets to that green light zone, which is around the plate, uh, that's when you want to swing. But you see a lot of kids, because they're nervous and they're anxious, want to jump out at balls. And that's how they get out in front. That's how their head moves a lot. And they're not going to be able to, to see the ball as well and make good contact. So those are a couple of the things. One of the tips that I would tell parents is get a bucket of wiffle balls and at your house, game days. Normally, you don't have batting practice before game day like we do in high school or in college. So get some swings before a game, and you can get a lot of swings in a short amount of time by getting on one knee and tossing some wiffle balls 
to your player and let them swing with that metal bat, but use the wiffle balls. The wiffle balls don't go as far in your yard and you get that muscle memory going. And it's a really good way to, to get ready for games when there is really not any preparation. A lot of the games you show up for traveling Little League, you're just showing up, maybe stretching, throwing a little bit, and then getting right into it. And in some cases, kids haven't swung the bat for three or four days, and they're asked to get up there and make some good contact. So that's a that's a tip that I would say for parents and any anybody who's around younger ones is bucket of wiffle balls, take those swings in your yard before you get to the field, and you'll be all set. And again, in gameplay at the youth level, I think what you have to do when you get up at bat is look for good pitches. And when you see those good pitches, really swing hard and look to make good contact. The goal really should be to make good contact as many times as possible every game. Little League, you're probably only going to get up two or three times in a game. So trying to make good contact at least one of those times would be a productive day. And you do that by taking a hack at the first good pitch you see. When we come back, we'll break it down at the high school and college level. You're listening to the Go 6 Podcast on the Baseball 101 Network. Okay, we're back. Let's talk about high school and college hitting. One of the things you absolutely have to have is a plan every time you go to the plate. And there's a few different situations that might determine what your plan could or should be. First would be the opposing pitcher. Have you seen him before? Is there a scouting report on him? Have you seen him pitch in this game already to other teammates? What do you know about him? What's going to be your plan? That would be the first thing. Second thing that might determine your plan would be, what have you done recently? What's your recent performance has been like? Have you been overly aggressive and swinging at pitches out of the zone? Maybe you're going to be a little bit less aggressive in your first at bat of this game. Be a little bit more patient. Look for things that are in the zone. Control the strike zone a little bit better. So your recent performance might determine your plan. Another thing that might determine your plan is your team needs. What is your team going through lately? What's the recent performance of the team? Maybe the coach wants guys to be more aggressive. Maybe he wants them to be less aggressive. Maybe he wants more balls in the air, more more balls on the ground. Or within that game, maybe it's a situational hitting situation where there's a guy in second you need, if you're a left-handed hitter, to pull the ball, get that guy over to third. Maybe you need to... um, Stay inside the ball if you're a right-hander and hit that ball the opposite way also. So those are three things that determine might determine your plan, but you absolutely need a plan when you go up there. Too often, we'll have discussions with hitters and ask them, what was your plan? And they really don't know what their plan was. So that's step one. There's a lot of things to think about with regard to swing thoughts, and the key is not to overthink things. When you get, especially when you get to the plate in a game. There might be one or two swing thoughts that you have, but more than that is just paralyzing you at the plate. So one of the things that I say is have great takes, get in hitters' counts, and don't miss fastballs. Have great takes, get in hitters' counts, and don't miss fastballs. 
How do we do this? Be on time. Be on time. Be on time. It's easy to say, but not easy to do. And here's how it happens. Good timing is all, all about getting that foot down with your stride foot. The stride gets the body into a strong position. So when the stride foot lands, the ball is still far enough away for you to make a decision whether you're going to swing or not. And hopefully this means we can identify and make a decision to swing when the ball's, let's say, halfway to the plate, maybe a little bit more. So getting down on time allows us to have a firm front leg. So when we stride and we start moving forward, our front leg firms up, and that helps us have a steady head. When we load our hands, when we go back with our hands in order to go forward, our head moves slightly back a little bit. And as we go forward and we make our swing, our head will come back to that same original spot, but it'll stop there if our front leg firms up the way it should. And that'll keep our head behind the baseball so we can see the baseball really well. When that front leg firms up, it also gets us to a balanced position, which allows us to rotate as we swing. A hitter has to stop that forward movement before he can start that violent rotation. So firming up with that front leg stops that forward movement. If our front foot's not down on time and still in the air when we're trying to swing, it's pretty much impossible to rotate. So that's why we say the swing is both linear, meaning you're moving forward, you're striding a little bit towards the pitcher, um, and rotational, and that's the uncoiling of the swing. If you're not on time, none of this can happen. Try rotating when your foot's still in the air. It's impossible. When the stride foot hits, the back foot, the back foot heel pops off of the ground, and this is where the rotation starts. So there's different kinds of strides. Uh, I think the most important thing in any batting stance, any batting style, is to keep things quiet and with not a lot of moving parts. But as far as strides go, there's a leg kick, there's a no stride, there's a put, picking, picking the foot up and putting it right down in the same spot. There's a short step. But either way, you need to be on time. The leg kick is the one that uh, it presents a challenge for people to be on time, but if they're comfortable with it and they can stay on time with it, the leg kick is fine. Long strides are no good, and that's because the long stride makes the head move forward, and it creates late timing, and, it de and when the head moves forward, it decreases that distance from the pitcher to you, so the reaction time is cut down. But all the motions, all the motions leading up to the foot landing should be really fluid. Once the foot lands, then you can then you can aggressively rotate from there. I mean, a baseball takes about four tenths of a second to get from the pitcher to the plate. And with half that time being taken up by our swing, we really only have two tenths of a second to react. So being on time is critical. Now back to balance for a second. We need to stride to balance. So when we stride and put that foot down, that gets us to a balance point, a strong balance point. We want to have our weight distributed evenly, 50-50 on each leg, and that allows us to rotate at the highest possible speed and keep that, ba keep that balance through the violent action of the swing. So we call it a position of power, a balance point, a strong athletic position. 
we're not on YouTube and we don't have video to show you, but if you stood in front of a door and were ready to push that door open, push that door through, break that door down, you would be in a strong athletic position, probably feet a little bit wider than your shoulders, squatting a little bit and feeling in a really strong athletic position, sort of like an offensive lineman blocking in football, maybe pass blocking, whatever. That's a really strong athletic position that you need to be in as you rotate and make your swing. Good rotation comes from good posture. So picture an axis, a steel rod in your body, running through your body. We need this to achieve great rotation. If that rod stays relatively straight, we're good. But if it bends, not so much, right? So your head and body need to be in good position. Your head should be just above your belly button and not tipped over. And your hand should be closer into your body. And that will keep you from being hunched over. Hands away from your body and your body tips and the rotation disintegrates. Hands away from your body. What we tell younger guys is when you are getting your bat ready and your stance, your hand should be across from that back shoulder. Not so far away, but close enough like you're cradling a baby. Or if I placed a ball in there between your chest and your arms, that ball wouldn't drop through. The hands get too far away from your chest and your shoulder and your body, the baby drops or the ball drops through. So keeping your hands close to your body helps rotation. It helps you get your hands through, and we'll talk about hands through in a, in a minute. But as we swing, we want our hands to come through while the bat head, bat head lags behind us. So that's lagging. You might hear people talk about bat lag. That's what that is. This allows us to stay in the zone longer and allows us to get the barrel to pitches in a lot of different areas. So good rotation helps us because it allows our hands to be quicker. Good rotation, quick hands means excellent bat speed. When we have good bat speed, we can take a good long look at the pitch and then we can make a decision what we want to do with it. Getting our hands through close to our body is important because it allows us to get the barrel to the palm up, palm down position. So when we make contact, and as a right-handed hitter, I make contact. My left hand should be facing palm down. My right hand should be facing palm up. And that means I'm at a pretty good path to the baseball. And I can get to various locations at the plate. So for example, if we're hitting an inside fastball, pulling our hands through close to our body across our torso will allow us not only to get the barrel to the ball, but it'll also allow us to keep that ball fair. And an outside pitch we're going to let the ball probably get a little bit deeper, take our hands through towards somewhere between the pitcher and the second baseman, and we're going to get the barrel to the ball that way. Again, palm up, palm down, to be able to make good solid contact, not roll over, have the top hand be too dominant, not drop the barrel and flare a ball out to right field by having the bottom hand be too dominant. To and through is what you hear a lot of coaches say with a high finish. This keeps the barrel in the zone longer. A low finish cuts off the strike zone. So increasing back speed and getting to the zone quickly come from good timing and rotation. When we're making that swing, we're strongest at contact when our arms aren't fully extended. People talk about extension and they have it wrong lots of times. Extension comes after the swing, after contact. So you at contact, your elbow should be slightly bent so you have some torque 
and those elbows then extend through the baseball to give you a little bit of power. So this takes us to hitting with two strikes. The idea is to have really good takes, get yourself in hitters counts, and don't miss fastballs, right? We mentioned that before. In high school, you're very likely upwards of 90% to get fastballs when you're in a favorable count. In college, the number's closer to 70%. That's because college pitchers are more capable of commanding secondary pitches at that level. So they'll throw a 2-0 curveball, 2-0 changeup, if they're confident in it. But either way, we'd agree that hitters, hitters counts are good. Two strikes are bad, very bad. So, for example, last year's Major League, American League statistics. Anytime there was a 1-0 count, hitters hit 346. Anytime there was a 2-0 count, hitters hit 374. A 1-1 count, which is the crossover count, and sometimes you'll see that at uh, showcases where they start hitters off with a 1-1 count, probably the most important count for a pitcher and a hitter. But on a 1-1 count, hitters in the American League last year hit 343. Okay. Conversely, an 0-1 count, they hit 269, and on an 0-2 count, they hit 131. So there you have it. Um, very important. So just to review, you got to be on time, get that foot down. You have to have balance and be in a position of power. You have to have really good posture and picture that axis, that steel rod going through your body and make sure you can rotate around that steel rod. When you have a good stride and you're on time, you have a firm front leg, and that firm front leg helps your head to be steady, and it also helps you rotate. So we need to be strong at contact. As I said, palm up, palm down position at contact, and elbow slightly bent when we're making contact, and then we, we extend and we finish high. So some of the drills that I've liked using over the years with high school and college players are really pretty basic, but some of them are really pretty helpful. Remember, at the younger levels, we're looking for a ton of repetitions over and over again. With the high school and college guys, we're looking at a little less repetitions, but a lot of quality drills, a lot of quality work, a lot of quality repetitions so they can really concentrate and, and be fundamentally sound. So one of the things that we like doing, we like doing what we call stand-ins, where our guys will throw a helmet on and they'll stand in the bullpen as a pitcher's throwing a bullpen and they'll work on their timing. They'll work on recognizing pitches. They won't look at the pitcher when he's telling the catcher what he's going to throw because they want to be able to practice recognizing what pitch is coming. So they work on their timing. They work on their pitch recognition. We also like to do various forms of tee work where we'll have the hitter just place the tee in the middle of... Uh, and towards the front of home plate, and then just try to hit line drives through the back of the cage, in the cage. We'll also have the hitter stand in his normal location at the plate, but then we'll move the tee on the inside part of the plate and have that hitter feel crowded, pull his hands through, and be forced to hit the ball up the middle or to the right side of the cage. And that really is a good drill for working on getting your hands through. Another way to get a good amount of quality swings is by 
getting some front toss in the cage, and we'll have a player or a coach sit on a bucket or a chair about 12 to 15 feet away and throw balls overhand from behind the L screen to our hitters. And at the same time, there's another hitter behind the cage simulating the swing, timing the swing, getting dry swings back there. So we're pretty big on dry swings and constantly working on the mechanics and constantly working on the muscle memory. But the front toss overhand is something that we use quite a bit because we can get a lot of swings in in a short amount of time. So that's a pretty helpful way to get some swings. We'll also have a BP in the cage or on the field where a coach is throwing various pitches, pitches, fastballs, curveballs, four-seam fastballs, two-seam fastballs, curveballs, sliders, change-ups. And after the hitter swings, the hitter will call out and identify what the pitch was. That's a good way to work on pitch recognition. And although the coaches aren't throwing nasty breaking balls, it just gives them an idea of the rotation and what they should be looking for. And after a while, they get pretty good at identifying those pitches. So that wraps up our hitting segment for this week. If you remember some of the things that you heard, it's absolutely great. But when all else fails, remember this. Have great takes, get in hitters counts, and don't miss fastballs. How do you not miss fastballs? Be on time. Work on being on time whenever you can. That'll do it for our hitting segment. When we come back, Fordham University's hot-hitting Jake McKenzie. Welcome back to the Baseball 101 Go 6 podcast. Regardless of what platform you're listening to the podcast on, if you go to the Anchor app and you tap the message button, you can leave us a message in the form of a question, a comment, or even give a shout-out to your team and we'll get it on next week's podcast. So thanks for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Our next guest, Jake McKenzie, is a shortstop at Fordham University. As a freshman, he was named to the Collegiate Baseball Freshman All-America team and was the Atlantic 10 Rookie of the Year. He led the Rams in most offensive categories with 46 runs, 58 hits, 42 RBI, 6 triples, 8 home runs, and a slugging percentage of 523. He stole 32 bases and had 17 multi-hit games. As a sophomore in 2019, he started all 62 games as a sophomore at shortstop, setting single-season school records in both games played and starts. He was the first Ram with back-to-back 30 stolen base seasons since Sean Harris in 93 and 94. He led the Atlantic 10 in stolen bases with 43 and ranked fourth in the NCAA. He batted 305 with 49 runs scored, 15 doubles, three home runs, and 28 RBIs, setting personal bests in average, run scored, doubles, and stolen bases. He posted a team best 19 multi-hit games. This season so far, in 11 games, he's batting 350 with two doubles, a triple, a home run, He's slugging 525, has an on-base percentage of 435, and has six stolen bases. Good to have you. Thanks for joining us on the Go Six. Yeah, no doubt. Thanks for thanks for having me. Uh, let's get right to it. Here's what jumped out at me about your stats: six walks this year and only two strikeouts. What's your two-strike approach, and, and how's it evolved over time? Yeah, man. So last year, 
you know, strikeouts was a pretty big fixture for me. You know, it was kind of, I kind of got complacent, you know, I, it, it wasn't really, um, wasn't really a good number for me. They were a little too high, you know, so, so this summer, you know, I was playing in the Cape and I really had to work on, you know, defining my two strike approach and really sticking with something because, you know, otherwise I would have probably had 40 strikeouts and about 85 at bats or something in the Cape, you know, cause those guys are such high quality pitchers, you know, so, um, so starting in the summer, you know, I really – I started, you know, uh, shortening – like widening out my stance, you know, getting lower, trying to feel myself in the ground, you know, trying to get rid of, you know, any any extra movements that weren't really helping me connect with the ball, with the main focus just being a putting the ball in play, you know. Um, I really try to just put it in play at, at, at any cost, you know. whether And that, you know, sometimes equates to, you know, putting balls in play that I shouldn't be swinging at, but at least it's, it's avoiding strikeouts. And with my speed, you know, anything can really happen – um with that so it's really just trying to trying to limit that as much as I can and you know hoping hoping that it'll work out with my speed you know yeah we talked about that a little bit as far as um you know making contact and and earlier in this podcast we talked about hitting and and two strike approach and and things like that and uh, if you can stay out of those if you can stay out of those two strike situations um you can do pretty well. That's one of the keys. Keep out of them. And then the other one is, like you said, when, yeah. you, when you are in them, try to get it in play. Try to use those legs. Um, yep. That's good. That's great. That's a that's a great part of your game. Uh, when you were on the Cape, did you have a hitting coach out there or no? I mean, it's it's kind of just figured out yourself down there. You know, the guys, the coaches are all just trying to, you know, boost their resumes and stuff like that. And a few guys, you know, would, you know, if I ever asked for BP after games or something, they would they would gladly help. But, as far as, you know, fine-tuning guys' swing, you know, it's pretty much on your own because a lot of the guys come in there with pretty, pretty you know, solid swings. And if there's something wor- not working out, it's normally just a minor adjustment that you need to um, to clean up, you know. So the guys were available, but I'd say that most of it came from just a trial and error basis, you know, as far as, like, adjustments to my swing. Um, I was really happy that I made some quality adjustments in the season and it ended up um, producing some more results. So, I mean, I don't know if that's luck or just persistence at some point, but um, it, I was happy that it worked out like that. Yeah, well, when you work like you do, um, you know, those things tend to work out. You know, that hard work pays off in, in, in some way, shape, or form at some point. Earlier in this week's episode, we talked about having a plan uh, when you go to the plate. What's your plan when you go to the plate, and does it change game to game? Yeah, no doubt. So, um, with me, I know that after being in you know college for two years that the majority of pitchers will most often try to get ahead with an outside fastball. And even when they're in, you know, whenever they fall behind in the count, it's going to be, you know, that 2-1-3-1 outside fastball. So um, with my swing right now, I'm really just trying to hit that pitch as hard as I can and as consistently as I can because um, that's the pitch that I'm going to get most often. And if I can capitalize on that pitch, you know, and drive at the right center gap, or if he makes a mistake middle, be able to turn on it, you know, that's something that, that you really have to be able to do, especially at the collegiate level. Um, a lot of the umpires are given maybe – three or four inches off the plate and you really have to be able to cover it, uh, especially guys with, you know, pretty good off speed stuff. But um, as far as my approach goes, you know, regardless of what pitch I see, I'm ready first pitch, you know, ready to attack. Um, whether that's a hanging breaker that I read up, or like I said, I'm sitting on that outside fastball um, for the majority of my bats, unless, you know, we get a scouting report on a guy that says, all right, yeah, he likes to come in. Oh, um, he will do that. And he will do that successfully then obviously you make some, you know, adjustments maybe as to um, how close you stand at the plate or what you're doing with your hands or, or small stuff like that. But um, being in the three or four hole at school, you try to get pitched around a lot to try to get to, you know, other guys that uh, might not be hitting as well. So 
sometimes you just need to go up there with a plan and know exactly what you're looking for and try not to stray from that, whether, you know, getting too antsy or something like that. It can, um, that can be the real kicker for an approach like that. So the main thing with an approach, I think, is just, you know, staying with it, ride or die, you know. If you, if you get busted in with a with a fastball first pitch, you know, you're not ready for it, you, you take it, you know, and that's – you don't try to do too much and you really just try to capitalize on what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, good plan, absolutely. We talked about plans, like I said earlier in the podcast, and talked about mm-hmm. how – some guys develop their plan based on their recent history. You know, maybe they're struggling and they're not been aggressive enough lately. Um, yep. maybe, maybe it's a team thing where the coach is like, hey, we, as a team, we've been too aggressive lately. We need to take some more pitches. But, you know, there's a, there's a few different ways to develop a plan. But it sounds like you've got a really good plan when you go up there every time. And, and um, it gives you an idea of what you're, what you're, what you're doing up there. Um, exactly. We know good hitters don't like to do too much thinking up there. But do you have a swing thought or two when you're walking up to the plate, you know, something you're trying to focus on specifically? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, obviously guys always say, like, the practice is where you really think about this kind of stuff. In the games, you really just, just let it all fly loose and hope muscle memory will put you in the right positions to be successful as a hitter. But um, for me, like, my main issue has always been, you know, going after the ball and, you know, landing too heavy on my front foot, losing my power, getting out of my hip, you know, just being a little bit, you know, too antsy to get after the ball. So if there's one thing that I'm thinking, it's just stay in my hip and stay behind the baseball and stay through it, you know, because that's when I'm going to be most successful from a power standpoint. And, you know, I'll be able to get hits, whatever, I'm off my front foot, but it's not going to produce the kind of results that I'm really looking for. Um, and then once once the at-bat kind of progressive, you know, it's, it's pitch-to-pitch adjustments, you know. So, okay, I felt myself get a little bit too heavy on my front foot there, so I'm going to try to stay back a little bit more. Okay, he went slider here, so I might be, you know, thinking that next pitch you know it's it's like it's certain things pitch to pitch where the best players can really um capitalize and make adjustments in those moments that can really help them out um yeah so that's the main thing i'd say you know getting on plane early is something that i stress in practice um you know staying through the ball is something i stress in practice but as far as as far as when the game goes it's mostly just working on staying back and hoping that the practice that i've taken before that will will allow for me to repeat my muscle memory and be in good positions to hit in the games yeah, it sounds like, and it sounds like that one thought is is productive rather than you know too many thoughts and overthinking it. Oh, no doubt, yeah. I mentioned that timing is a major key to making good contact consistently. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your timing mechanism, and do you make any adjustments um, within the game or even within a bat with regard to your timing? Yeah, so I'd say mine is a little unique in the sense that not many guys are doing it. Um, so what I do is I start with a pretty, you know, slightly larger than shoulder width base, and I would actually drag my front foot as opposed to, you know, a lot of guys do the, the leg lift or pick up, put down. But the um, the drag really allows me to get into my hip well, I think, and at the same time it keeps my head in a steady position. So when I'm doing my drag, it's it's pretty much as soon as the pitcher starts his motion, I'm getting my swing going. You know, I'm, I'm going slowly back towards my hip and trying to load everything into that back hip. Right, so I think this has allowed me to be on time for the most part because, you know, I can go forward and move my foot forward kind of like in a hovering mechanism whenever I feel the pitch is coming in. So say I'm like, oh, he rushed me, quick pitched me a little bit there. I can kind of, you know, just go whenever I want. You know, so sometimes my drag might be a little bit slower uh, because the guy's taking a long time to release the pitch um, or his arm's lagging or something like that. And other times I feel myself, uh, you know, okay, like I only went back about six inches there, but I'm ready to go because he's, he's slide stepping and he's, he's throwing the pitch. You know, so I think regardless of what you do, I think being able to adjust based on whether the pitcher's quick pitching you or, 
you know, he's got a long arm action. It's taken a while. It's something that you can adjust based on the pitcher because, like you said earlier, being on time is it's everything in this game, especially as a hitter, because, you know, if you're on time, you got a pretty good shot of being successful um, with everything else working for you. So, yeah, just definitely just staying with that approach and trying to, you know, um, just make adjustments as you go, like I said earlier, with my approach. Yeah, and it seemed I, I spoke earlier in the podcast, too, about the importance of the stride and the importance of no matter how you do it, like you have your you have your way of doing it. Some guys have the high leg kick. Some guys pick up, put down. Some guys even yep. go no stride at all with two strikes. But yep. the importance of that foot being down, because then you mentioned it uh, a second ago, your head is your head becomes steady, not moving around yep. a lot, and you can yep. also rotate better once you're down. No doubt. Um, I always thought this from the moment I met you that you were built. You were built for the college game. You were you were thirsting for more. You wanted more than just a high school experience. And I could just tell you were built for the college game. And and you know, let's be honest, the results statistically back that up. But there has to have been some big challenges, whether it just be adjusting to school, um, adjusting to team, adjusting to coaches, adjusting to teammates. Um, what would you say was the biggest challenge for you coming out of high school? and the biggest difference between high school and D1 baseball? Yeah, no doubt. So, I mean, obviously the, the competitive nature within the team is something that I never really experienced before. You know, I'd create my own little, you know, competitions. Oh, I want to be the best kid on the team or whatever, but never had I really been on a team before where every guy was, I came in just as good as everyone else. If not, they were a little bit better than me, you know? So you try to, you try to really find those ways to, to differentiate yourself. And for me, that was, that was through, you know, just taking those extra reps, countless of extra nights at the field, you know, in the cages, just trying to work out something that would put me ahead of, of everyone else, you know? And so just, just, you know, the, that cutthroat nature, like if, if you're not producing, the next guy is probably going to come up and take your spot, you know? So there's a lot of good kids on this team, 35 guys. We got probably 12 infielders here at Fordham. So that's something that, you know, you always have to have in the back of your mind, like, okay, like, this is this is it, you know. There's there's a guy who's who's dying to get a chance and an opportunity that I have right now. So, so what are you going to really make of it, you know? And that's something that isn't really um, it really wasn't present for me in high school. You know, you kind of knew you were going to play regardless. Um, there's probably you know half the team is of, of guys that are actually you know going to play at the next level, and the other half are just you know good athletes or, or whatnot. Um, another thing I'd say is I feel like the coaches here um, really have an investment in you to some extent. But if if you're not producing, they're gonna move on to the next guy, you know, and try to try to develop him um, to be to be your to be to be your replacement, you know. So in that extent, like I think you really just need to seek out your own knowledge and information, whether that's you know picking your coach's brain or something like that, or you know watching YouTube videos like I do on countless nights, you know, just trying to trying to learn as much as I can because there's so much information readily available that can put me ahead of other people, you know. So just trying to that could nature I say would be the main the main differentiator um it's not like that in high school and in college it's it's really just you need to perform and uh and get everything on track or else the next guy will yeah absolutely would you say that the way you challenge yourself at the high school level or maybe even before that uh from a competitive standpoint helped you compete in that way against other guys yeah no doubt I mean Ever since I was a little kid, I, I couldn't deal with not being one of the best players on my team, you know, and if someone was better than me, you, you bet your ass I was working really hard to try to try to catch up to him and be just like him and follow him and outwork him and stuff like that, you know, and I'm not really sure where that 
that competitive nature comes from. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just it's just either you have it or you don't. And some guys want to be the best, and some guys are okay just you know showing up and enjoying the game, which is which is completely fine. But um, that was just never me, and I thought that I was trying to be the best ever since I was in high school. I thought I was overlooked, you know, not being recruited by many big time Division one schools. That bothered me. That put a chip on my shoulder, you know. Because I'm a little bit shorter in stature than other guys, I'm not sure, but it lit a fire, and that fire's still burning today, and it it keeps me going, and keeps me you know hungry more. Yeah, and we talk a lot about with my teams, we talk a lot about not being average, and you know yeah. there are there are plenty of people out 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 there in this world that are that are average, and that's fine. They're mm-hmm. nine to five in, in in an office somewhere, they're doing whatever, but. Um, you know, part of the thing that I enjoyed, especially where I was, is being around people that weren't average. So, um, yeah. you know, and you certainly weren't from the moment I met you. So really, really glad you could come on with us. Really proud of what you're doing so far, my man. Um, you got Iona this weekend. So, yep. you know, that's my alma mater. So I don't know. I know. <laughs> I don't know if you want to go easy. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you want to go easy on them or or what you know for you, for your old coach. But um, but like I said, we're proud of you. Keep it going. <laughs> um, what you're talking about um, here tonight uh, today is you know a lot of what we were talking about in the podcast earlier. So um, we're, we're really glad to have you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. No doubt, man. It was a good time. Thank you. I wish you guys the best of luck in the upcoming season and with the rest of this podcast. It's good stuff. Sounds good. We'll talk to you later, pal. All righty. Take care. Bye now. So that was Jake McKenzie, junior shortstop for Fordham University. Glad he could join us, especially in light of what we had been talking about earlier in the show, which was a lot of hitting information. When I met Jake for the first time, he I, I knew he was built for the college game. And if you look at his statistics or you listen to my intro, uh, that has proven out. So glad to have him. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show with some Major League Baseball talk. Now it's time for our segment, Major League Baseball Talk. Commentary and conversation about the league where they play for pay. So it looks like the Brewers and Christian Yelich are close to an agreement on a seven-year extension on his current deal. He has two more years on that. And it looks to be around $200 million, maybe a little bit more, $215 million. He's a great player. He's a great hitter. He runs well. He plays really good defense. He is becoming an icon in Milwaukee and a cornerstone of that franchise. But nine more years for him? That's ridiculous. He'll play well for the next four or five years, but mark it down. He will not be a guy who was productive for nine more years. And I think a lot of franchises do too much of this. Big contracts, long-term. It's good that Milwaukee signed him, but don't agree with the length of the deal. So prediction for you this year regarding the major league and offense, I think you're going to see less home runs this year for sure. 
45% of the runs generated by teams last year were by way of the home run. I'm sure they did something with the balls in the offseason. I don't think you're going to see as many home runs. I think the home runs are good for baseball. They put fans in the seats and generate a lot of interest, and I think people like to see offense, but I don't think you're going to see as much. I think there was an inordinate amount of home runs last year, and I think you're going to see guys try to be a little bit more productive over the next few years, strike out a little bit less, get on base more, move runners, do that kind of thing to help their teams win, and there's going to be a value on that that will still get them big contracts. So look for that this year. Less home runs than last year for sure. So that'll do it for the Baseball 101 Go 6 podcast for this week. Really appreciate you listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Also tell a friend about us. We have about 300 listeners right now or more, and we'd like to continue to grow. So we really appreciate you telling somebody about the Go Go 6 podcast. We're going to leave you with our playlist song of the week, a song that we choose every week that you should have in your playlist. Remember, because of copyright issues, you won't hear the song right now, but Google it and add it to your playlist. The song is Luke Combs, What You See Is What You Get. Really appreciate you listening. I can't wait to be with you next week.